This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. With me today is Hans. How are you? What is the t-shirt today, Hans? Uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. Classic. That Everybody loves that. <laughs> Prize Universal Monster. I don't uh, like how this is a feature of the show now. You just ask me what shirt I'm wearing. I'm just going to be shirtless the next time because I'm wearing my nipples. <laughs> I'm wearing my nipples in my chest here. You wore a black shirt. You look like a floating head. It's only yeah. that font that I could Are you wearing. embarrassed of your bedroom, Hans? Is that why you're always in the dark? <laughs> no, I just don't like having lights on in my room because I like it to be like a cave. Yeah, you are the palest man in Costa Rica. <laughs> uh, we have on the first time for the show tonight, we have Brendan from the Elroy Boys podcast. Very excited to have you on. And the uh, the captain of uh, of the isolation chamber, writer, director, star. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Enjoying the long weekend. And uh, the the film we're going to be talking about tonight is your pick. I can't wait to get into this. I watched this again last night uh, for the first time in. Well, actually, I think I might have casually watched the theatrical cut earlier this year, and then didn't finish it because I, I was traveling at the time. And then I watched it again tonight, and I've certainly got some thoughts about it. But before we even get there, we have Kid Polaroid. Kyle, you are the, uh, the composer of Mass State Lottery, and that will remain the title, even though they're threatening us with litigation. They want us to change it, the Massachusetts Lottery, those pricks. Um, you, you were on the, uh, the first Michael Mann show. We did the Michael Mann retrospective, which covered from 1981 to, I believe, 19... 19- 86 did we end with manhunter i can't remember how far we got uh i think we did talk about this film a little bit we kind of jumped around um but i think our we we referenced some other films but i think our focus was mostly up until i don't even know if did we do last of the mohicans i think we were saving that one so yeah no i think we got up to manhunter but i think what we should do about the title is we should change it but to massachusetts state lottery so it's more you know Right. Or for yeah. fuck you to them, yeah. Sure, well, why not? I don't know what's their what's their problem. They don't have enough money. They're the, they're the law. <laughs> you would think. <laughs> uh, uh, well, we got a cease and desist over email addressed to not one specific person, but just like the name of our collective on YouTube, uh, saying that well, this could potentially confuse uh, lottery buyers, and we don't want this this X-rated film associated. Yeah. But. It's all shit. It's just, it's a shakedown. We'll see if they actually pursue it. Hopefully not. Hopefully they just forget about it. That's the best case scenario, but. For sure. Yeah. I, well, I, hey, that's, that's great. I mean, that's, that's uh, some notoriety there. Yeah. It's, 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 I think it's a fun little spice to add to, uh, you know, all the hype that's going to be building up once we, we get it out there. But I mean, they could also just ruin my life with this. So I don't know. We'll see how it plays <laughs> out. It could be great. It could be terrible. Wow. Do you have a backup? Uh, just in case it comes down to like we're gonna fuck you forever, like and you're like fine, you know. You have anything mulling around? Like a replacement a title? Name? Yeah. The the original title of it was Hobgoblin, but that doesn't fit it anymore. So no, I don't. Two, we're, we're just gonna stick it out and yeah, see how it goes. Great, don't even bother. Two great pals. That's the that's the <laughs> title. Yes. <laughs> two uh, friends driving. <laughs> To uh, connect this back to to what we were talking about before, yeah, we talked about Thief, we talked about The Keep, which I think is a very underrated, weird monster flick from the early 80s, great score to that, a great score to Thief also, and Manhunter, uh, and we talked about uh, Miami Vice, the series, and specifically the, t- uh, the pilot, oh, yeah. so... We, uh, this movie has come up before on the show, but it's not something we really delved into that deep. 
And I do feel like Michael Mann is a, is a very interesting director in that he has a particular aesthetic that seems bound to decades, where you take a look at Thief to Manhunter, this all fits like one specific texture. But then you, you start to peek into a lot of the work that he was directing in the, the aughts. And something like this, I feel like collateral certainly go together visually and uh, stylistically. So, uh, Brendan, I, I, I need to get your take. You, you said you love this movie, correct? Oh, I, I think it's great fun. I think it's kind of, I, I think it's bordering kind of on avant-garde. I mean, because it's just kind of, it's so minimal and like the performances are, they kind of remind me of like, like an European, like a Robert Brisson or something like that, like how flat they are. And just like how you would expect this movie to be like bright and like the series, like you know, Miami Vice, so, right? Yeah. And he goes completely dark, quite literally, you know, I mean, with it's it's not it's not a bright movie. Uh, there's, you know, it's hard. I, I feel like, you know, for the for the normal viewer, it would be kind of hard to follow even or even care about. And so I feel like the movie is more just like a tone poem. And uh, but I really like it. I, I think it's exciting. I like the digital texture that it has. Um, I think the performances are weird and the dialogue is kind of b- bad, but that's okay. Like the vibe is, is the most essential thing in this movie. I do feel like this movie is a perfect encapsulation of culture from 2006 or whenever this was. Yeah. Uh, you've got a little bit of, uh, you know, you've got like the Miami rap gangster aesthetic, but that's also mesh with like uh, Nickelback or Stain style, early aughts, uh, alt rock, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's got like, a little bit of everything. Yeah. 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 And you've got, uh, Jamie, oh, uh, you got Jamie Foxx, who was like the biggest star um, on the planet at the time. Like, I think he just won an Academy Award, but he's not, he's in the background in this movie, but there's a good explanation for that too. But he had that gold digger song, right? Didn't he sing yeah, the hook yeah. for that? Yeah, yeah he was yeah. the hook on that. Yeah, so he yeah. was everywhere at that time. Yeah, yeah he was definitely was... one of the biggest stars coming off of uh, his win for Ray. He won for Ray, and then I think he got into Collateral. But that that might have been before this. Yeah, Collateral like was... was before this. Yeah, that yeah. was like 03 or something like that. And if you watch that movie, uh, it's, it's very, I think, visually distinct and interesting because Michael Mann is starting to mess with digital cameras for the first time. And this movie has like a similar look to it where, as you pointed out, there is so much noise in all of the night shots of this movie. The ISO is cranked up and it's just, it's there on the screen. He, he treats it like you would treat film grain for a movie. There's no desire to clean it up or, or polish it at all. Uh, he's very into giving that raw, dirty, uh, cheap camera aesthetic. Yeah. And I think he was, he was kind of hinting at that a little bit earlier in his career like with um the insider which is kind of a grainy documentary style like a handheld but it's on film right but it still has that like i I remember the texture of that movie as well with jamie fox kind of being weeded out of this film that that i feel like that's actually fairly true to the series i don't know how much of the series you guys have watched but at a certain point with that around like season three or four i think when michael mann decided to uh step away from concentrating on it and get back to uh, directing films, you notice that it becomes the Don Johnson show. Philip Michael Hall or, or 
whatever that that guy's name is, he starts to become like a side character on the series because it's all about Don Johnson, women he's sleeping with, and he's stopping, mm-hmm. you know, this guy and that guy. And so you have like a similar um, structure here with the Colin Farrell version of uh, of that character. So I feel like, and that's something I really, I think, um, honed in on on this go around because for a long time I, I really enjoyed the Miami Vice TV show from the 1980s. And this is just so far from that, that it's like, you know, it's not disrespectful necessarily to the legacy, but it is like a little bit, I think, because it's so just different in terms of um, what it's offering as far as the uh, the visual flair of it. Yeah, you get the feeling like Michael Mann had this idea that, um, you know, uh, this this is not my, you know, Mike, the the original series is not my perspective on these matters cops criminals you know the dark side of of urban life uh and so he wanted to use that frame the miami vice frame to say this is actually how i this is actually my perspective and that's a perspective that he's been he'd been developing over time with like particularly manhunter and heat because i mean heat was like this really well researched you know i mean the guy had done uh like he'd gone to Folsom prison and interviewed prisoners in Folsom Prison. And and I think there was a real guy, Neil McCauley, that he had based the Robert De Niro character on in Heat. And so he had a genuine, like, journalistic, inside perspective on cops and criminals. And so I think for his legacy to be left, you know, his perspective to be left unsaid with the Miami Vice series, he couldn't, he couldn't let that he couldn't let that go unsaid. You know, he had to make this movie with the Miami Vice name. Cause I mean, this movie could have, I mean, you take away the name Tubbs and yeah. Crockett, and some of the other characters that were on the series and you take away the Miami Vice name. This really has nothing. I mean, I, I, and I'm not that familiar with the series. It really doesn't have a whole hell of a lot to do with the series. You know, yeah, it's like a completely even, different statement. They don't even have the colorful clothes, you know, they don't have the teal t-shirts with the white jackets. Everything is very dark and very 2000s, I guess. Uh, I, I think that's the, the the one thing that I, well, not the one thing, but one of the things that I didn't like about it is that it, it didn't need that title for me. Like, this wouldn't have changed anything if it was called anything else and didn't have the, the character names. Uh, I'm not very familiar with the series either, other than the aesthetics of it and the episodes that we saw, like, last year, whenever it is that we recorded that. Uh, but that disconnection of the uh because i really thought that it was going to be closer to like a, a body cup thing where there was more interaction between them and show like a little bit of uh like friendship or something between them two and right from the start uh there is a little bit when uh the colin Farrell character goes to uh the jamie fox's house and interacts with him a little bit but then that's completely lost for the rest of it because we focus completely on colin Farrell and his uh, yellow fever that he has throughout the whole movie <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, that was one thing that I, I thought um, it was going to be a little bit more uh, body copy more them two being leading or, or, or just leading this thing and then at the end they they kind of did it a little bit but it felt more like an ensemble cast thing because every character was just as important as Jamie Foxx and you know you have Colin Farrell as the main guy but then Jamie Foxx just kind of blended with the rest of that little group that they had at the end with like the explosion and all that uh, so that that's one of the things that I was kind of like well that, it felt a little unnecessary to use that title now um, I know that uh, Michael Mann was what producer or and, and also yeah, directed the pilot right I think 
Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess it makes sense that he would want to do that. But I, I don't know. It, it felt like, like you said, like if, if the title was different, I don't think it would have changed anything uh, from, you know, what it is. Yeah. Or, or like a remake, the, the opportunity to remake Miami Vice gave him an opportunity to slip in whatever actual movie he really wanted to make. Yeah. It should have been like a little more burn noticey, I think, uh, just to to add a little bit of that. I think that you are the flair. only one who feels that way. Don't you feel it? Like, didn't you say that about uh, what was it? The Magnificent Ambersons as well, Hans? <laughs> wow! Everything so, did you guys be. like the movie? I I, I like the the visual style of it a lot uh, because it it added uh, a lot of intensity by just having handheld cameras or just uh, the way that it was shot i love the uh plane shots i don't know if that was cg or not but the way that that he shot it how everything looks so massive and them so little i really enjoy all of those uh transitional takes that he had uh but uh that was just the disconnection that i had i just didn't care for the character so at the end when things kind of get resolved because it, to me it does have that episodic feeling at the end where things are kind of result but no really it's very open we don't know if if uh, jamie fox's girl is going to survive and then the chinese girl is just like well he's leaving now and then he just leaves so uh i, I don't know I, i i enjoyed it more than i thought i would but the character thing uh that that is always very important for me to really get into the story and i feel like that was a little lacking in this kyle i gotta get your take as a music guy what is what was your take on the the soundtrack to this the fact that It doesn't open with uh, encore, right? From Jay Z and Lincoln Park, or, or what, what, you know, but it, it gets into it pretty quick and just gives you the exact tone of the film right in that nightclub sequence. Uh, what, what it was? What? How do you feel about this compared to say his 1980s uh, more more score heavy work? Um, I uh, I would like to. The music kind of reflects a point um, brought up earlier about the film seeming seemingly being like an avant-garde type film and the music i i feel like the music really plays on that as well it doesn't really serve it almost serves like like there's a lot of pop hits like brought up uh the first two minutes of the film we have the jay-z lincoln park mashup uh there's a lot of like just very dated uh choices in the music uh there's In fact, the uh, Phil Collins cover, which is probably the only, like, probably the strongest, like, throwback to the uh, original Miami Vice. Man, I hated that. That annoyed the piss out of me. They played that entire <laughs> song all the way through it, and there was nothing, like, intense happening. It was just people hanging out. Just some, Yeah, it's some just got, like, the drum beat going. It's like, it goes for so long, and it just kind of becomes like a, like a very, it's like a very lazy, the song itself is just very groovy. And they stretch that out throughout, you know, it, it's supposed to be this pivotal moment where it's even used in the pilot in the same sense where everything's coming together and we're about to, you know, finally things are going to come to a head. And uh, it, it, they, they try to go for that in this film. And it, it does, I know what you're saying when it, it just seems like it doesn't go anywhere and they're just kind of underlaying it through just, it goes on for too long. Um. And things like uh, the club scene in the beginning when they walk in with the Jay-Z and the Lincoln Park, it's supposed to be the club's music, but the way it's actually mixed into the film, it's just as forward as if it were the score itself. So it 
it kind of becomes like, well, is this the music they're really listening to right now in the club? Or is this just serving as the score for the film, same as the Phil Collins cover uh, that plays later, who I, I don't know who the performer is on that. Don Point. Don Point? Yeah. Oh. Okay. It's yeah. Like you, you, you had to listen to the lyrics, man. That's what you didn't get. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I, I'd read that, that Michael Mann didn't want any music from the original series in the movie. And, uh, and so I think, and, and I watched the, the director's cut this time around. I think that that, uh, the, the coming in the air tonight cover or whatever in the original cut was just on the end credits. Hmm. Oh, so it's actually not during the, the, the pilot. For some reason, I'm just, well, I mean, in, in the film, in the 2006 movie. The in the 2006 stuff. film yeah. they play you're saying they play what in the credits so 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 com- that cover of coming in the air tonight i don't think it was in the the theatrical cut it oh was, it, it was but in the director's cut they put it in the movie because i think oh, his okay. original idea you know like like i was saying earlier like he th- there was some kind of aversion that he had to the series almost where he was like i don't want like th- they were like hey why don't you use the guy who scored the series to score this movie and he was like i don't want any music from the original series in the movie it's almost it, like a like a hate letter hate mail to yeah yeah almost <laughs> yeah. And, and that's what i'm saying is it's functioning somehow as a statement on he's like he's making a statement on the series through this movie like he's saying you know it, it's not it, it, that's not what i wanted to say this is what i wanted to say no, and what um, was he saying? I mean, you know, I, I don't even know. The, the movie, the mo- I will say this. The, the movie feels a lot, like you used the word lazy. It does feel at times like everything was the first pass. The edit, the, the takes, you know. And, and, and I, I don't know what, what, that adi- what, what attitude that reflects necessarily. But there is something liberating, I feel like, about that. Is just that it's this kind of freewheeling not tightly controlled tightly managed hollywood movie you know what i mean michael mann seems like uh at this point in his career in 2006 uh he'd be be, he'd become very comfortable with this style i mean at this point when miami vice 2006 comes out he had been doing gritty underworld crime for so long it almost seems like there was intent for him to want to take this film and make it like this other, like it, it, give it the, the, the veil of Miami vice and, you know, give it the furniture of Miami vice, but then underneath it, he wanted to subvert is essentially what you're saying. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I I don't know why he would want to do that, but there's something that he, there's some kind of, there's some kind of conclusion he'd drawn about the human condition over the course of his career that that comes out in this movie where it's like all this you know um and i feel like it's reflected in in more of the jamie fox arc you know where he's got this he's got this woman who he can't protect who who uh who her she is even kind of um laissez-faire about what's going to happen to her because she's chosen this lifestyle you know like this date this dangerous lifestyle and you know Colin Farrell is developing this re- this really really tenuous relationship with this woman who's a criminal, and so there's just like this 
there's just this tenuousness this it, it's a dark movie in, in that in sense the, yeah the, i the uh romances i feel like are uh very much so how you're you're explaining like a subversion of his old style where the romance and the female characters are are blatantly an escape to another another life a, a better life for the main character they always they're like a a channel a gateway into a better life and the character the main characters want to make it happen so bad but they just can't uh you know this life just keeps swallowing them uh almost like they want to keep being swallowed by it and uh in this film the two ro- the two two female romance characters one of them they both are entrenched in this world as well in some level, as opposed to previous films where they're, you know, in some cases they're even completely oblivious to this other life. Right. Um, yeah, that definitely tracks with Thief, with Manhunter. Uh, they do serve a different function in the story. I think that's an interesting observation to make how uh, it seems like these two guys are rather navigating their career paths um, without any sort of, like, genuine... Well, I, I guess... There's definitely a care there, but there is a conscious thought and decision that's been made that the career is going to come first and that whatever they're working on is going to come first. Whereas you do have those characters like the James Conn character in Thief and the Will Graham character in Manhunter who want to get away from whatever it is that is consuming them and be part of that. Yeah. And I, I feel like the, 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 the closest analog to the, the attitude to relationships in this movie is actually in Heat because you have... Neil Macaulay, the Robert De Niro character, who's got that whole philosophy. And, and that's one thing I love about Michael Mann's movies is his characters, he, he's somehow embedded in all of his characters like, like, a, like a framework, like a philosophy for viewing the world that could kind of be summed up. And, you know, you get these, you get these moments where like James Caan is summing up his whole you know, he's got that picture in his wallet, right? And it's got Willie Nelson on it and, and, you know, all that other stuff. And he, like, summarizes his whole point of view to that woman in the diner, which is a great scene, which I feel like presages a good a good diner scene in Heat. But in Heat, you've got Neil McCauley, who is a criminal, and he he can't be attached to anything that he can't leave at the drop of a hat. Whereas the Val Kilmer character, he's got a wife, but he walks that he walks that razor's edge because he's he's a bank robber and and a and a career criminal. So it, he could lose that he could lose his what should be a permanent long term relationship at any time. In in this movie, these guys, I feel like their attitude is kind of similar to kind of the Neil Macaulay perspective from Heat, where it's like, yeah, we we. Ha- we are intentionally putting ourselves the relationships that are safe for us are the ones that don't have a future. Like Jamie, the, 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 the Jamie Fox relationship, he's in a relationship with another, you know, un, undercover, you know, special ops police officer who knows that her life could be in danger at any time. Likewise, Colin Farrell's he, the first opportunity he gets to have a relationship with somebody who's, who did, is part of his undercover operation he takes it it seems like these guys are latching on to relationships that that they know don't have a future don't won't last well i i feel like the or the main reason why i I had an issue connecting with both of them is that we don't really see them uh interacting with anyone that is not related to the case so we don't know 
what they're like outside of this thing. So whenever something happens, uh, the only reaction or the only thing that you know about them is everything that's related to the case because of those relationships and because everyone that they seem to have contact with has either something to do with the, the police that they work with or with this case. So the, the, the development of those characters is not, at least to me, wasn't interesting enough for me to give a fuck if, if she lived, uh, she lived. Yeah. especially because especially that explosion, I stopped it and rewinded it because she blow <laughs> she was blown hilariously i don't know if you guys shot noticed that but exactly. that shot is so funny because it just looks like an action figure that just blows up uh but uh yeah that that lack of uh interaction with anything that's not related to the case that we're working on or angry cops or ang- people that were a part of it uh was a, a bit of a disconnection for me uh, when it comes to you know i'm supposed to care about this asian woman that's been kidnapped now yeah. or this this lady that just blew up hilariously uh i sympathize with with your feelings on that um the asian lady was totally charmless like yeah 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 um yeah it's the 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 ability to care really care about the characters um when i first watched this film I, i honestly i have to say i didn't like it and um upon watching it a second time, I've come to appreciate it. I, I don't know if I would say I, I would like it. I, I would, I appreciate it. Um, I don't see myself rewatching it too, too many times. Um, and the thing is, is it's mostly due to what Hans is saying about it's, uh, it's unconventional uh, approach to character development. It's almost like uh, you're just dropped right into the film. They make it a large point. I mean, the first scene is them on the, the go fast boats as they call them. And they go into the nightclub. They're they're on a totally unrelated mission to what the film's going to be about. They get sucked into something else, and next thing you know, you're like, you don't even have time to process anything or ask any questions. And that kind of has an effect on your ability to care if they make it through these tense situations. You know, they seem so good at what they're doing at the same time as well that you're just like, oh well, you know, it's that. It even, that... Beco- it even becomes a point on the movie where. Uh... I don't remember where the guys from the Latin American guy, he's like, well, they're just too good. I don't like this because they're too good at their job. So there's not really any flaws or anything that they have when it comes to dealing with all of this. Everything seems to uh, work uh, until, you know, they get involved and and everything turns to shit with a bold gang. Uh, But uh, besides that, yeah, even the the bad guys are like, these guys are great at what they're doing. It's suspicious. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like the best character... The, the most three-dimensional character is that guy, the the, the Latino counter-intel mm. guy. The, is it Yero? Jose Yero? Something like yeah. that? Yeah. He's, he's, he's the most three-dimensional character in the whole movie where the characters are very flat. I, I feel like that's a legitimate criticism of this movie. I mean, the, it's, it's a very... It, the affect of the characters is very flat. There's no development. It almost feels... You, you could say that it's almost just an exercise in digital filmmaking like he's just he's just working out how this how a movie could be made using this digital technology but i, I just that, feel that, oh, sorry, sorry it works on the the level that it works on is as spectacle because you're not there's no there's no plot to distract you you know or there's no there's no characters to distract you from just this like slapdash spectacle 
And I think that's where that that's the way into this movie. Yeah, it, it strikes me as like a, a fever dream almost after watching it a second time where you come out, you don't even I, I honestly didn't know what was going on half the time the first time I watched it. And the second time I had to really like be like, OK, now what's going on? Like the twists and turns come at you and eventually you realize I'm not even supposed to care about really what's happening. Like there was a twist, but right. like, so what? Like there's something larger. There's something more uh underneath that michael mann is doing with this like impressionist approach when you see you start to realize oh yeah it's miami vice but you're never on a beach it's you're, it's miami vice it's the only shots of where it's like you know i'm in the climate is cuba for a few minutes mm-hmm. and and then you know when they're in miami it's nighttime and then that's when you guys see these washed out effects from the lighting and the the it's like the visual it's that's what's supposed to uh you're supposed to be left with i feel like is just the visual like what just went over something just washed over me um and like characters plot that's a backseat to to that no i i wonder if he did that so that it feels like an episode of a series because if if this was let's say episode five of a 10 episode series uh maybe not two hours but uh I feel like it works like that because you have all of the other episodes to do with that character development that you don't get here. Uh, so this would, to me, would work like an episode of Miami Vice where, okay, we've seen four episodes before this, so we know who the characters are, so that's not important, and you already have that connection with the characters that you don't need to build here. That's what uh, I... And maybe that's... that. You know, I was just going to say, that's the exact kind of vibe I got with this. It does follow similar beats to an episode of the series um, and what the characters are getting into what their relations are to other people. Uh, I remember when I watched this, I think I watched it for the first time in like 2007, 2008. My impression was, and I always consider this like a companion piece with, with collateral because they were really so closely together. Both had Jamie Foxx, both had similar looks was that collateral was the good movie. Collateral was a great piece of filmmaking. And this was, like it reminded me of an episode of cops or something. It was just, it was not my cup of tea. Wasn't the Miami vice that I uh, enjoyed, but having, um, having watched both again recently, I don't know if you guys have seen collateral at all, but Tom Cruise in that movie is basically just like the amazing atheist. He's just like, (laughs) Oh, we're we're so insignificant compared to all these stars out here. What is one, one man matter. It's just like, shut up. Enough of this. Yeah, the collateral is definitely more of a uh, a perfect movie if you want to go by like just box office, like what works. Uh, you know, it, the characters have much more time to develop. There's a lot more conversation. The conversation in Miami Vice is the dialogue is it's erratic. There, the sentences there's almost like no full sentences. There's just jar they're jargon laden and jargon filled, and they're just if you don't know the language. And you're left behind. Uh, they finish each other's sentences half the time. But uh, Collateral, I mean, they're in a taxi cab. And most of the movie is them talking. And uh, the story and the character development is much more what I think I was expecting or what I typically expect when I see a film. Uh, so uh, maybe it was his, you know, doing that, which was like, you know, I did the dialogue. I did the story building. It's time to just go all out on some other shit with this film. And and has a movie ever had less of a sense of humor than this movie? 
No, it's a good point. <laughs> yeah, everything was very serious. Everything was very intense. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a f- the original Miami Vice, they have like the crocodile or the gator, I think. You know, there's like some humor between the, the duo, the buddy cop kind of humor. But in this one, the characters aren't even like... Uh, they just barely even interact with each other. They were there battling depression. Yeah. The way they bounce off each other in this film is also very awkward. And, um, just doesn't feel it's, it's almost seems like the actors don't even like each other. I believe that was the case. I think, uh, Michael Mann soured his relationship with Jamie Foxx on the set of this because Jamie Foxx was demanding a certain style of suit that costs, quite a lot of money that dug into the production budget uh quite a bit uh i i i might have this wrong but i'm fairly certain i'm i'm correct about this and there was some stunt or whatever that uh not dissimilar to damon wayans on the set of the lethal weapon tv show uh went bad and jamie fox threw a tantrum over it and well, did not like wow. they i think they were shooting in some you know because they'd shot on locations and like like haiti the dominican republic like third world countries and there was like there was like an actual shooting that happened while they were i think they were in the dr and jamie fox was spooked and he said i'm not i'm not going to do any scenes that are not in the united states and i'm not going to do any scenes on a plane or a boat and so that was like oh shit now we've got to move so the, the entire movie had they had to like shift the perspective where it was mostly Crockett, Farrow, right. yeah, mostly Colin Farrell, who I think is I, I mean, uh, you know, he gets I at least as far as I've seen, he gets a lot of um, criticism, Colin Farrell, but I think he looks cool like in this movie, and and I think I think he works like he's he's a he's a you know his dialogue isn't isn't great, but but I just feel like. There's something there's something charming about like the char- the the way that he's dressed and just kind of his look. Does he get criticism? Because he's always like one of the favorite parts of whatever movie. Whenever he pops nowadays, up, it's like nowadays people have a different perception. I think of Colin Farrell because of his uh, Yorgos Lanthimos films. They kind of have a, a a higher appreciation for him. But during this time, and I think up until then, up until maybe The Lobster or so, even. Well, in um, Bruce, and Bruce was he was really good at that too. I don't remember when what year. It was yeah, like. but this is America. People didn't see in Bruges like they saw it in <laughs> England or whatever. Oz, uh, yeah, no, he he is somebody who gets a lot of flack, and I remember people uh, laughing about this look in this movie, which is quite a unique look. It's not very. I mean, I guess it's kind of like late season Miami Vice Don Johnson because he does have a little bit of a mullet, but it. it yeah, I don't know. It's a very, uh, you know, he does try to bring this look back and then tweak it a little bit for True Detective season two. That's and, what I was thinking. Um, yeah, it, and I think he's got like a better sense of himself in that series where he's kind of playing. It's not necessarily a similar character in personality. That character is so much more of a fuck up. But he, he's got like the same approach he's bringing. He seems like more confident as an actor by that point, and He's able to really pull it off. Uh, and that's not something that's really found here as much. He seems a little more, uh, I guess, on guard or a little more stripped down than the Colin Farrell that we're used to today. It's like a hard Bradley Cooper is what it looked like in this for me. Like you could have replaced him with him and just he looked very similar to that. I'm, 
Yeah, I, I wasn't aware of how uh, Colin Farrell before this movie, what his career was. And okay, I, I see where you guys are coming, coming from because I know mostly like the movies after this. Uh, Seven Psychopaths, I really like him in. Uh, that Total Recall movie is kind of a piece of shit, but he's good in it. So I, I have this different image of Did him. He, repl- as, he uh, replaced uh, Arnold, right? For for that? He yeah. was the that character? They gave him the role? Oh, the main guy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I've always enjoyed him. I, I, I'm not very familiar with his early work. And uh, yeah, SWAT. Well, he Daredevil, had Daredevil. He was Bullseye. Phone Daredevil. booth. Yeah. All right. <laughs> He was but, uh, in some movie where he was stuck in a phone booth the entire time. That, yeah, that, phone booth, that yeah. That was like his first, um, <laughs> I, I feel like that was his first real um, American. American? Yeah, yeah. That's a Joel Schumacher film, by the way. Rest in peace, Joel Schumacher. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. That that uh, From what I remember, and granted, I haven't seen that movie since about 2003 or so. That was not bad. That was not a bad film. I, Joel Schumacher. You know, I might pop it on. He, he, he can actually, he can direct well. If if uh, if he gives a shit, if he doesn't want to camp it up, um, but th- he does frequently camp it up. Well, I mean, you know, he does he does camp it up, but you never forget a Joel. Like I, I never like the bat the Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Like those will always be movies that I pop on, like VHS classics. You know, oh yeah. I mean, they're just so they're so over Silly, the top. Yeah. You yeah. can't, you know, it's like a cool mountain stream. You can't get enough and i believe he directed falling down which is did. that's favorite. and that's a great movie yeah. that's a great movie people love using uh stills for that for memes all, all sorts oh, of stuff. falling down gets like that's one of the most meme worthy movies of the 21st i mean it was from the 20th century but yeah. in the meme era absolutely it is uh what, what do you guys think of michael mann during this period of his filmmaking uh, because I don't know if I have a an especially high opinion of him as a director after uh, I, maybe Ali. Hmm. I, I I I don't know. I, I'm I don't know why I'm so attached to his these efforts that he made on digital. But like Public Enemies, um, I saw that in theaters, and I I was thoroughly entertained. And I just like the te- like. I just feel like he, he's going for, he's going for an atmosphere that I can really that I can really dwell in and appreciate. Collateral is excellent. Collateral is excellent. Um, it's a little corny, as you were saying. I mean, I don't I, I don't know if Michael Mann like has that sophisticated of a of a worldview at this point in his life. Like, I feel like he's kind of nihilistic and. Uh, you know, you were saying the you, you said you were saying that Tom Cruise was the amazing atheist uh, in in the. Uh, I feel like that probably is how Michael Mann is like. <laughs> that's his. Yeah. But now, because, does it feel does it feel corny with twenty twenty one eyes? Because in two thousand four, yeah. you didn't really have so many creators. Let's call them that would d- use that as a stick. No, so maybe sure. for, for the time it worked as like, oh, look at this thinker or like this free thinker or whatever. Now, yeah, you look back and you're just like, this guy's just a fucking YouTuber. It's every Heath Ledger Joker speech. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah. The, the culture around it winds up tainting it a little bit. But I mean, that's not really the fault of the movie, I, you know. Yeah. But uh, it, I think what is most interesting about Michael Mann uh, dealing with this technology is that he's trying to... He's not trying to hide it. He's not trying to use it as a as a method of convenience. He's trying to 
showcase character in it, which I don't think a lot of directors do. Maybe Shane Carruth, um, since he works with like very lo-fi technology typically, but he, uh, Michael Mann's got this maximalist approach where he's just applying the same sensibilities he would with film to the digital technology. And I think it makes his movies during this era stick out or, or maybe have a more interesting impression than they would otherwise. Yeah. I mean, I mean, one, one could say, Oh, well, well, this is, these are dated looks to the movies. But the thing is, is that I think you're right. Low res, like he's saying, he's saying, okay, we've got this technology. Let's, let's bring its feature, the features of this technology to, to the, showcase the form you know not try and as you said hide it and try and make it look like film or whatever we have to crank up the iso you know and 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 show it you know show what texture it has available to us and and utilize it uh you know in whatever way is possible as opposed to trying to you know this this is the world we live in we digital is is what we've got to work with so we might as well embrace it how do you guys feel about collateral from 2015 i, ne- I never saw that chris hemsworth uh no not collateral there. black hat i mean black hat yeah i haven't seen yeah. black hat i, I got a i got a copy of what is apparently his director's cut which somebody pieced together in their own time using some cable copy of uh of the movie i think it was like on paramount or, or one of some defunct network and um I, that's something I have to get around to watching. Although, I mean, if we're going to go based off his director's cut decisions with that, the, the use of in the air tonight f- for that one, as opposed to just ending the movie with the, which I think would have been much stronger. Uh, you know, it seems like these directors get to a certain age and when they start touching up their material after it's already been released, it's always for the negative, almost without fail. Uh, William Friedkin, for example, with uh, the French connection, there's a now famous story about him going back and recoloring the movie to try and give it a more, um, uh, I guess, a more colorful look, a less brown look. And uh, they did that. They put that out as the standard Blu-ray. And when he oh. unveiled that, it was uh, it was just appalling looking. Um, so that 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 seems. I mean, that's a trend we kind of point out on this show is old man directors don't really know what's good for them, what's good for the audience when it comes to remastering or uh touching up certain things yeah and and and, i mean i think there is a certain extent where it's like you know michael mann um uh you know he worked as i mean you you take a look at a movie like i I think heat is great like it's it's such a famous movie and and so popular and was on cable so goddamn much like you know probably still is showing on tnt right now but um but I still think it's like and just an excellent, tightly controlled and tightly composed movie that's well researched, well written, and he put a lot of effort into making that movie. And so, you know, he, he probably got a little lazy after that, I would guess. Uh, you know, particularly if you look at I, I feel like Miami Vice would be the best probably the best example of like of like laziness. Um but th- there's still something that he's trying to say, like wh- why why make this movie? Why make Public Enemies, for example, if you didn't if you didn't have something you were some some perspective that you wanted to to put out into the world? And and Public Enemies, by the way, I don't know if you guys have seen this, 
movie, but it takes place. It's like about John Dillinger. It takes place in like the, the Great Depression, but it's shot on that. It's shot in that same grainy digital way. So it's like a period piece shot on digital. So it's a really weird juxtaposition. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know where he's at in his what where he's at in his career or whatever, or what he's thinking. But um, but there's still something of interest there. Well, the last, well, the or the next thing that I see listed here is Tokyo Vice, which I think is dead now because of Ansel Elgort's. Uh, His N words. He was using what, a lot of N words in the classroom. <laughs> I, I think I heard something about that. No, I think that's still controversy. Yeah. Tokyo Vice, man, I read that book. That dude is like, oh, I'm such a cool guy. I was breaking up a sex trafficking ring, and then he'll go on for like eight pages about how he's sleeping with the most attractive women and then you look this guy up he's just got a moldy looking face he's just a really gross 44 year old dude just tired some journalist i don't know that i mean that that book's whatever i think the uh the series is going to be um a little more uh theatrical a little more hyped up so I, i'm going to give it a watch i'm kind of intrigued is that coming out on prime where is that going hans well uh from what i can find it says that because of COVID production was halted and also because of that something really Ansel Elgort yeah that was they didn't even have evidence for that that was I mean you know, I guess you don't need evidence these days you don't need it yeah there's only a boy I don't know that I I, I thought <laughs> I also read about um you know he was going to direct Ford versus Ferrari for a while and I think he wound up producing it and he wasn't satisfied with the film that they wound up putting out so he was going to go and do some like vaguely similar story about that and direct yeah. his own version of Enzo that. Ferrari, yeah. Right. It's called Enzo Ferrari and it's upcoming still, but yeah, that Tokyo I'm I'm trying to find information about that Tokyo uh vice and uh it seems like it's just he he had a sexual assault claim. It wasn't not just the N word thing. So I guess it's halted until Uh, people forget, I guess. Uh, yeah, he I used the, he oh, used the N word while he was sexually assaulting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not good. Uh, so, so, where do you guys stand? Like, what's you know, what's the best? What's what's Michael Mann's uh, is best? Uh, Manhunter for me. I, I like Thief. I think Thief is the one that I've enjoyed the most. My personal favorite is probably Manhunter, maybe The Keep. I have a I have a, a, a 35 millimeter print of The Keep that oh I got recently, and it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. I haven't um, seen it. It's it's such a peculiar film. You really got to check it out. I, I love the monster effects in it. The soundtrack is great. If I was hard pressed to say what's his like most technically great film, I would say probably Heat. But uh, that's, it, I think it's very good. I watched it for the first time um, in preparation for what was going to be our follow-up show on Michael Mann with, with Kyle here. And then we just never got around to scheduling it because there's so many different films we had to uh, watch for that. Um, I do think it is, uh, certainly as far as like the crime genre goes, uh, a masterpiece. But if I, was, uh, if I was pressed to give my favorite, I would lean towards Manhunter. It's the one I've watched the most. And there's just so much character to be found in that movie. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, I, I, I know I was gassing up heat, but I think, man, I think I would go with Manhunter as well. I mean, what, I, I don't know why it's just, it's just structured so beautifully and it's such a unique piece of filmmaking. Like it, it just encapsulates an era, but it's also timeless 
in the music. Very fresh. Yeah. Like, following a director's arc for their career, it's almost like they have, like, an unfair advantage to make a good film early on. Um, And it's almost like you can't even help it. Like, uh, Manhunter is just good just because of how and when it happened. Um, He, like... Like you said, like Lowrez said earlier, uh, it is like formulaically a, a much stronger film than Manhunter. It's it, it takes all things into consideration. It's almost like a, an urban crime drama epic, uh, and you could very much get more of a sense that he put his all into this one. Like like Manhunter, Thief. These were just him preparing to be make to make heat. Um, but then as time goes on. Uh, I could I still appreciate Heat's a fantastic film, but Manhunter has this character to it. Um, just and it, I think it's mostly due to where it came in Man's career and like his him trying to develop something uh, that makes it unique for me. Yeah, I, I do think I, I do think that that's true. Manhunter has more character than Heat because Heat is so tight, it's so polished and so clean you know, um, that, that it, it lacks some of the authors in this case, Michael Mann's like his handwriting is more on Manhunter though. If you take, if you took Manhunter and heat, you would still, you would still see more, um, like there's just more composition to those movies. Like, you know, like when William Peterson swings into the glass when Inagata de Vida is, swept, is climaxing or at the end of Heat where it's like those airplane lights are like oh, yeah. flashing while, while, while Al Pacino is hunting Robert De Niro. Like there's more structure and composition to those movies. And then Miami Vice, like there's no, I don't feel like there's any links between, there's no beats. You know what I mean? There's just not, there's just not that, um, I don't know. There's just not that tension created by, you know, by, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I, I think you get what I'm saying is, is that the, the, it's just not a composed movie. Yeah. It, it feels very, uh, like you said, uh, first take and let's go. And uh, there's not a, doesn't seem like there's a lot of planning when it comes to the shot or the creation of the, the, the way that the actors interact with the shots. Mm-hmm. Everything is very straightforward and very much, uh, 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 this shot moves for the next one, the next one, the next one. Not a lot of creative uh, choices, I guess, that that would show that you know uh, this went through multiple. Um, what is this called? The um, like what, when you when you draw and plan everything in advance and try to think of creative ways in sh- shooting things, uh, this one felt very much. I guess that's why it feels like a like a TV episode to me because it's very straightforward. It's very much everything that we're showing you works to move the plot along and nothing else. Uh, I feel like that added a little bit of of intensity to the story and like maybe realism to me, but like you said, comparing it to, to the other of his previous movies where it seems like is, they're more crafted, like more thought put into the shots and more put, thought put into how the characters interact with not just their environment, but everything that is shown on camera. Uh, I feel like that's, uh, I don't know if that's what you were getting to, but uh, that yeah. that's kind of like how I felt with this one, yeah. Which, yeah, I, ahead, I, I, I just going to say real quick, uh, because you had brought up the William Peterson when he's jumping through the window. Man, what an epic scene that ends in nothing. 
He jumps through that window as the music is building up, and then he just gets slapped down on the ground like a bug, and he's just laying there. I love, that's what I love about that movie is because when that happens, it looks great on camera, and then you realize that's all it's worth. And even in the film, him busting through the window, it, it's like it, that. That's all it was worth. Like it's a loud entrance. The he he gets blasted as soon as he comes in. He gets what? He gets stabbed. Is that or, he gets I forget what happens. He gets apprehended to say the least. Yeah. And uh uh yeah, it's it, it's almost like um it's almost like a uh a tongue in cheek making fun of itself in that yeah, sense. Like showing showing how flawed our hero is. Like he's not indestructible, he's not amazing at fighting. Uh uh he's he's gonna try to do this corny action movie thing where he goes through the window and oh it didn't work yeah it it makes sense that it doesn't work he takes a stupid risk yeah you know that he doesn't need to take but but the thing is is okay so so as a defender and and i'm still curious lorez what your final kind of feelings are about miami vice but as Mm -hmm. a defender of miami vice i will say this the movie i think somebody described the style of filmmaking in a review of the movie as on the fly. Hmm. And, and so I feel like this style of making a movie on the fly propels this particular film because the audience now has a sense like, like this is all being everybody's, even the filmmakers are discovering what's happening as it happens, you know? And so so it's being propelled by um, by a kind of a, a you know a not knowing of what's going to happen next you know and and like a documentary you know kind of cinema verite reality filmmaking um, and I think that's what makes it in, that that helps make it a little bit more interesting and, and and I would say I mean these characters you know you were saying Hans like I you know what what are these characters we don't see them do anything outside of this mission. Well, that gives me the sense that these guys are a hundred percent committed, serious, no sense of humor guys who their whole life is whatever they, you know, whatever they've dedicated themselves to as vice cops in Miami. Right. That, that does track with the series where you don't get much of an idea. In the later seasons, they, you know, Sonny Crockett is kind of like a, you know, he's dating a movie star. He's getting out of a limo. He's got paparazzi on him. He's beaten. He's kind of like a Sean Penn in the eighties character, you know? Um, (laughs) But you don't really get a a, a much of a vibe of what's going on outside of their careers. It's entirely that Um, maybe with the, um, I guess maybe with the, uh, the the Tubbs character a little bit early on because he winds up losing his brother, right? So you, you have that sort of idea for, like, motivation. But um, as far as this movie goes, I don't know. I think the, the sum of its parts are maybe... It makes it, it, like, a little interesting pop culture relic to me. I don't know if I, if I would rank it particularly high... Um, in, in Michael Mann's filmography, it seems kind of middling um, because I don't have that high of an opinion of, of uh, the films that follow this or, or even really collateral. But I do think there are interesting things about it. Um, I, I, I agree with the sentiment that was voiced earlier that Jamie Foxx is just kind of wasted in this movie. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel like I have a very strong opinion about it. Um, 
in general as just a film on its own as a, as you know a part of his filmography and something that's supposed to resurrect the the characters of Miami Vice um i think it it fails in in some regard but uh what it does in its uh in its i guess um execution uh, visually and with the soundtrack i really enjoy those aspects and it makes me like the film more than what the film offers in its story or its characters. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, I, I think your assessment is, I, I can't, I can't find fault with what you're saying. When this, I saw this movie when it came out in the theaters in 2006 and I was a film, I was in film school at the time. Um, and, um, and it, it was really unpopular, like with critics. And, and I think it was a successful film. Lots of people saw it. But I don't think anybody really, I, I think a lot of people were disappointed with it. And so it was a very popular contrarian choice for film, like film nerds like myself to say, no, it was actually excellent. <laughs> it was actually a great movie and, and you guys are sleeping on it. Um, and so that may have shaded my, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll hold on to that position for as, until, <laughs> the, until the day I die. Um but I do think it's exciting. I, I think that it's just so exciting visually. And, and, you know, those action scenes, they don't make a lot of sense. Like, like that ending action scene, like he didn't, I don't feel like he put a lot of effort into constructing it. Like he would like in a heat where it's yeah, like, he's yeah. amazingly yeah. like, they make a lot of visual sense. Like, but there, there is something really exciting about those action scenes in kind of the disoriented feeling that you get and the depth that he gets the depth of field that he's able to get with digital helps those helps the action scenes a lot. Like when they're in the, um, when they're in that. And I think one of the best scenes is when they're at the, uh, the trailer park dealing with the, as Hans put them, the bald bad guys, the white supremacists. Um, they, he uses depth, depth photography in that really well. And, and that's a really exciting, intense scene. And I do feel like he is kind of trying to, he's trying to convey to the audience, you're outside of the world of police. And so you're not going to, like, they're going to use jargon. They're going to, there's going to be a, there's going to be a syntax and, and, um, and, and there's going to be a way that this is going to develop and you're not going to know how it's going down the way that these, that these people who are insiders in the world of, of police uh know what's going on and i feel like he conveys that really well where you're just like oh this feels authentic because i have no clue what's happening here now was uh was there an effort to revive this year's because i just noticed that there's a there's a video game that was released in 2004 that that looks never played it but it looks very grand theft auto-y for the time based on the series and then they released another video game in 2006 with like a companion for the movie but I, I wasn't aware at all that they they were trying to you know try to revive it uh, when this movie came out. Well, were they trying to revive it as a series or just like the brand? Are you referring to the brand? I guess, yeah. Well, I don't. I don't, I don't game... think it was uh, that uncommon in 2006 or 2007 that you would see a video game adaptation of any standard like rated R movie that was uh, released and and was maybe something more than just kind of like a mid budget drama. You know, if you had a crime film, especially, there's a lot of weird game adaptations from from that stretch of time that went to PlayStation Two or 
Game Boy Advance, whatever it was. So that doesn't PSP. surprise me. Yeah, PSP. Uh, that would have fit right into this movie. People playing PSP, they just play PSP when they're bored and they're downtime <laughs> on the boat. Uh, I know that Vin Diesel was trying to bring back Miami Vice as a TV show for NBC maybe about five or six years ago, and that just fell flat. Nothing happened with that. So, With that revival of MacGyver and uh, what other show? Well, the Lethal Weapon show that you just mentioned that uh, I don't know if anyone – like who They tried Lethal shows. Weapon. They tried Rush Hour. Uh, and yeah, they they ushered out all the old CBS sitcom. They got Magnum PI. They got they got Hawaii Five O. Oh yeah, and then now they have a uh, Walker Texas Ranger. No oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. Can you <laughs> imagine guy from Supernatural? Yeah. Imagine if Mike Michael Mann was also in charge of uh, making the video game, and it would be just you play as you play as uh, Crockett, and you just take a shower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It seems like the the through line uh, progressive like message that is is ultimately what is communicated in here is just that uh, Michael Mann has no time for women. Women just get in the way. Uh, <laughs> Got to stay career first. That's the that's yeah. the mo. Yeah, and if you go for the women, you're gonna get fucked by something. So you might as well just stay stay away from them and be friends with your partner. I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Not I think that's what Black Hat is about. It's just Chris Hemsworth on a computer the whole time, having fun on the computer. No time for the girls. Absolutely. Not. Aim. No. Just messaging he's people hack. on Aim. Arguing with people on internet forums. He's post. He's posting on Roosh V forums. Brendan, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to get your opinion on uh, two other filmmakers who kind of had a a similar style to Michael Mann in the 1980s. And that is Abel Ferrara. And uh, I guess, well, I, if you take a look at uh, To Live and Die in L.A., William Friedkin definitely borrows quite a lot from from Michael Mann and what he establishes visually during that time. And that's a great film. That's a, a terrific film. I know, I believe you covered it on Elroy Boys, correct? You did, yes. Yeah. And, and, I, and I couldn't stop talking about Michael Mann when we were, when we were do, doing To Live and Die in L.A., uh, which I think is just an absolutely excellent film like just a, a really really strong movie um and and william friedkin is i i think he's a genius um you know i mean just a larger than life character um and and a man who who reinvents himself every movie he like more so than michael mann you know i mean michael mann like thief manhunter heat i feel like they're kind of all in of a piece you know and you could lump in maybe even miami vice uh, with those movies, you know, whereas William Friedkin, like he does the he does the French Connection, and then he does a movie like The Exorcist, and then he does um, Sorcerer, which is you know, so he's gonna do he's gonna do a cop movie, and then he does a horror, and he does a horror that's the best horror that was ever made, and then he says I'm gonna make an adventure movie, and then he makes the best adventure movie that was ever made, and then he does Cruising which is a horror cop movie, which is my favorite Friedkin. That's, a, that's then, a great one. Uh, oh, you forgot one, which was uh, The Brinks Job, which is a family oh, comedy about oh, Peter yes. Falk and Peter Boyle robbing a bank in Boston, which, which feels I have nothing not. at all. Like well, Someone sent that to me today, and that's the only reason really why I thought of it. I watched it. I was like, this doesn't feel at all like a William Friedkin movie. This feels like a very standard kind of PG family film. But yeah, he, I think he did that between Sorcerer and cruising maybe i might have that wrong 
but it's just so peculiar that he would go and direct that that like family fair Peter Falk movie in between these two uh insane films. Yeah. Well, hey man, I mean that's that's him and and I think that he is a he is a guy who grapples with like he grapples with ide- big ideas in a really sophisticated way. You know, and and in a way that's even, you know, even more he's a more sophisticated thinker i think than michael mann is even though michael mann he's a really really good stylist that comes through in thief and manhunter particularly well um and he's a guy he's just a relentless figure and like even like killer was it killer joe yeah you know like that that is not the work of a man who's in his 70s or whatever you know i mean that's that's an intense movie um and so i I think that william friedkin is is a true genius and will and and will eventually be thought of as like our maybe our greatest filmmaker uh, the devil the devil and father amar no whatever let's not talk about that one that's that's the documentary (laughs) that's something different you don't count that documentaries don't count in a in a filmography that feels like it's made by a 70 something year old that, <laughs> that one's a bad one he's gonna do he's gonna do one more scripted one that's ooh, that's like uh what was it zach baggins show but just william friedkin going around some some italian church oh god and it's only an hour long it's like literally an, an hour and maybe five minutes it's not good with added what is it added spooky sounds so that it's spooky. yeah yeah he added sound effects to the possession and the exorcism that was happening it was it was not oh no yeah well <laughs> um but uh, but you said that you mentioned abel ferrara um and i'm trying to think I, I haven't seen that much by him king of new york is a great is a really fun movie really Absolutely. fun movie. yeah um you know what i haven't seen bad lieutenant unfortunately and there's one that he did recently um called um i think it's called go-go tales or something like that Mm -hmm. uh that Uh, looks really really interesting with um i think that uh, had uh, oh yeah willem Uh, defoe and and it has somebody else in it that's from uh that's not too recent i think that's from like 2004 2007 or so Fair enough. Um, <laughs> you know, I kind of lost track of time there around that uh, around that period. He's he got he has he works with Willem Dafoe on everything. If you if you watch any of his recent movies, it's, it's just a lot of Willem Dafoe uh, kissing Talking Abel Ferrer's real life wife, <laughs> just feeling up Abel Ferrer's wife. He's a uh, you know mm. he's an adventurous filmmaker. This Abel Ferrer mm. uh, touching it, her titties and shit, and <laughs> like sex yeah. scene that's very awkward because she's like twenty five. It's her first time. Willem Dafoe looks. Yeah, when the photos just all this shit. I hear he yeah. was very inspired by uh, Kevin Smith films. He really enjoyed Clerks too, seeing his wife hook up with with the guy, the schlubby guy from Clerks. Um, yeah, uh, Fear City is a really fun early '80s mm. Abel Ferrara that has like a similar aesthetic to Michael Mann from that period. Uh, it stars Tom Berenger and Billy D. Williams, and they're hunting a, a killer who's a, a white guy who does karate and beats up women to death. And uh, it's such a peculiar movie. Wow. Um, and then, and then, uh, Miss Forty Five is also good. What, what's that? Driller Killer. Well, yeah, but that's that's early. That's his first movie, if you don't count Nine Lives of a of a Wet Pussy. So that that's very <laughs> rough. I got that from Vinegar Syndrome. 
I, I, the nine lives of a wet pussy. And I was like, all right, well, it's, you know, it's probably, it's porn, but it's going to be like a movie. And I just sat down with my dinner and, and uh, put it on. It was just like some dude licking, licking a vagina, like close up 1970s detailed, lots of hair, uh, had to turn it off until I finished my meal. I, I'm not in the, you know, in the, in the spirit for that kind of inappropriateness, but don't want to finish before you finish your meal. Exactly. Yes. Um, <laughs> All right. Uh, if, what would you say is like a good pairing to go with Miami Vice 2006? Mm, man, that's a great question. Um, the, the first thing that comes to mind um, is kind of like uh, I I think uh, you should watch True. De- you should watch you should watch Miami Vice, and then you should watch all of True Detective season one. Season one. Yeah, season one. Because uh, I feel like. Um, it, it kind of it, it takes the uh, it takes the dark atmosphere, kind of the the southern, you know the the southern crime, um, and and uh, and some of those action scenes that are in True Detective season one. I feel like they were they were picking up where the action in uh, in Miami Vice left off, but it's a much it's a much fuller meal, you know. Yeah, that that's pretty. I wouldn't. I don't think I would have drawn that connection. Uh, on my own, Hans. What about you? What would you say? Maybe it sucks. I mean, maybe the, <laughs> maybe the connection is bad. Well, burn, burn notice. So oh, you get right, a true well, yeah, so get... a true image of Miami and and uh, how fun Miami can be and sunny and there's mojitos and and should he drinks a mojito in this movie, but he doesn't even seem to enjoy it at all. So uh, <laughs> yeah, burn, burn, uh, a couple of episodes of the first season of Burn Notice. What about the characters what about the developed. fall of Sam Axe? We're gonna do that eventually. No, that was, movie. No, that's, that was that's, bad. That was bad. Yeah, <laughs> that's not part of the lore. That's extra. That's when <laughs> right, they were trying like to the milk. Devil and Father of Morth doesn't count. Burn <laughs> yeah. Notice, fall of Sam Axe. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Kyle? I would say. Uh... <clears throat> Two films uh, would pair well with this, uh, and I think if pairing what the objective was to maybe provide perspective uh, and ability to maybe appreciate the film other than like what you typically get out of a film at face value would be uh, A, uh, to keep it in Michael Mann land, uh, Thief, due to the fact that Thief plays so heavily on uh, realism in in the effect that there's hardly romance, and I don't mean romance in the, you know, in the V sense, but romance in, like, how it's treating urban crime, etc. Thief puts realism in front of that, whereas uh, in Miami Vice, it's, it's it's almost heavily romantic and not as as real as a film like thief, especially for Michael Mann, who, you know, I'm sure he had these actors hang out with actual undercover cops. He always, you know, his research is always very thorough. Um, But then the finished product of Miami vice, it obviously you're steeped in these uh, images that are very much dependent on the research. But at the end of the film, you don't feel like you were actually on the streets of Miami. See, you know, you, you almost feel like this romantic afterthought. Uh, so whereas Thief, you you see him drilling into the safe. And I, I remember that first scene. Mm-hmm. You watch him drill into the safe for probably three minutes straight. Like, that would never happen in a film post-2006. Like, 
so too much screen time for something like that. Too monotonous. Uh, another film, though, to put on the other side of that to sandwich would be um, something like 2003 uh, Bad Boys sequel, which is another Miami crime, but that makes uh, Miami Vice 2006 seem more like a realism film. Whereas you, you get a sense of, okay, well, this, you know, watching Miami Vice now in 2021, it has a totally different impact than I'm sure anyone who watched it in 2006. Uh, it, it feels very dated now. Uh, but if you were to watch it against what was popular at the time, as far as buddy cop goes, bad boys, I feel like would would anchor you more in like, oh, this is how things were then. Uh, this was what was seen as like intense and, you know, but it's actually quite comical, uh, you know, it's as far of, as the that, that, that camera shot of the going around them for the action shots. Yeah. Uh, who's the, who's directed that? Is that Michael it's, Bay? I believe it's Michael, Michael Bay. Brandon, do you have any yeah. opinion on Michael Bay? Um. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, the the I've always been thoroughly uh, entertained by his movies. Uh, the Rock is uh, oh my god, that movie is, is really <laughs> is really really fun. Uh, I watched Armageddon recently, and I wasn't as enamored with it as I was when I was like uh, in sixth grade or whenever whenever yeah. it came out. Which I at the time I saw Armageddon, I was like, this was really funny. It was really compelling, moving movie, and we watched out of the theater i remember i went and saw it with my dad and my grandpa and my uh my older cousin um and they were all like wow that movie was awful and i was like what do you mean that was excellent (laughs) um but uh, i watched it recently i wasn't as enamored with it but it's still it's just high octane you know i mean it's it's a great spectacle uh i think uh i think he's um you know I, i have no issue with you michael michael bay I think you get what you expect from his movies, really. I don't understand people that try to find death in his movies because they're just yeah. a spectacle. It's like it's like trying to find death in a uh, Roland Emmerich movie, where it's just it's just going to be big. There's going to be explosions. There's going to be something that gets destroyed. Uh, the characters are kind of cartoony, kind of not very real, but you're going for the spectacle. You're you're not going to to get any type of. Uh, philosophical uh shit out of it it's just there's these people and something happens and something blows up and it's shot in a very sleek way and and that's it uh you don't really get directors that do that type of movie anymore i feel like the blockbuster died when the superhero movies started because now those are the blockbusters and you don't really get this type of of uh massive they don't they don't want to actually blow shit up it's too much too much to have people go and clean it up afterward there's that new uh, Roland Emmerich movie coming out about the moon attacking Earth or something. Is that, and right? that just looks really. It looks I really love the stupid. But of that. the moon attacks the Earth. That's, Wonderful. I think it's. I think it's something dumb like that. Uh, but I just. Uh, I have an appreciation for him just because it feels like like he just gets like a five year old to write his movies and he's like, <laughs> yeah, but we're gonna make them awesome. We're gonna make them huge. And the story or the idea is very simple and very not deep at all. But they're just spectacles that you know you don't really get that that type of movies anymore like you right. did in what 90s or early 2000s i do think i don't know if my i don't think michael bay is the best maximalist director working i think that's Zack snyder personally i think he's the funniest yes, i think pain and gain is 
yeah. uh, a hilarious comedy that everybody should go check out and revisit. That that film is uh, that made me laugh quite a lot when I rewatched it earlier this year for somebody else's show. Uh, Mark Wahlberg and that is is terrific. Nice. Well, I know this. Um, uh, I'm going to go out and watch uh, Phone Booth and hmm. and the original Miami Vice series now after this discussion. I don't think you can go wrong with that, especially the Miami. I don't. I can't speak for Phone Booth. Phone Booth. Well, I'm I'm curious. I'm, yeah. I'm curious. That's for sure. All right. Well, it's a Larry Cohen. It's a Larry Cohen movie, right? It's a, a Larry Maniac Cohen. Cop. Yeah, isn't that his the name? Stuff. Or my am I? Yes, Return it's the same slot. Oh. Wow. He he wrote, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he wrote Phone Booth. Uh, he also recently wrote, uh, fuck, I forgot. Hold on. Um, oh, well, he did the cellular movie right after Phone Booth, which is funny to think about because it's just about an evil cell phone or something. I've never seen it. But <laughs> but yeah, he did the stuff. He did, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, well, we don't great. need to read Larry Cohen's yeah. uh, screenwriting. <laughs> you, the, the, the winged serpent. Yeah. So, so um, I'm sure if, uh, uh, photo booth, phone booth, uh, it's, it's very entertaining, <laughs> at least. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the thing that, the thing that um, gave me pause when I read the description of it was like, he's in a phone booth the whole time. Like, I'm, I was just wondering where, where the cinematic appeal uh, would, would come in. But I, I assume that they cut to scenes of other people outside of the phone booth how many times does he complain about the phone booth smelling like piss too (laughs) that would be interesting to see yeah i feel like we don't ever see uh who's keeping him i know it's Kiefer sutherland doing the voice but i'm not positive we ever get a glimpse of him and i don't know i might be spoiling something right now inadvertently but anyway i guess i guess check out phone booth that's the real (laughs) message of this episode uh would be a good pairing to collateral maybe it yeah. Seems like there was something in that era where I don't want to say gimmick, but like uh, a plot point that they put way out in front where, uh, you know, he's in the phone booth and you, you know, right when you see, the, I mean, it's called phone booth. You, you see it in the trailer. It's like, oh, this movie's about this phone booth and the situation that happens in it. Collateral is very clearly, oh, it all takes place in this taxi cab. Um, I think like Red Eye, similar, like kind of came out on the same time and was like, oh, it's all on an airplane. Seems like there was something going on at the time where these were, were hits, you know. Yeah, yeah. Was that Casket movie? Oh no, that was 2010. That ran buried. Reynolds buried. Yeah, I that guess it's it. kind of a, that time. Yeah, yeah, I guess I don't know. That was kind of a, whatever. Died. Fuck that movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, all right. I th- I think that's been movies for for this week. Brandon, where can people find uh, you and your podcast? Um. Well, so they they need to go. They need. They can go on um, Apple Podcasts and find that they can find the Elroy Boys, which is a talk show, uh, which is about uh, the author James Elroy, but it's also about tangential topics like, you know, crime movies and other crime books. And then, uh, and then the Isolation Chamber is a is a uh, a psychedelic radio soap opera. Uh, and they can also find that on Apple Podcasts. It's on Spotify and it's on SoundCloud as well. Um, and so you should check both of those out. And the Elroy Boys comes out like once a week, and it's hosted by two other guys, Sam Dennis and uh, Blower, the, the, the famous Twitter personality Blower Guys. 
Yeah, and everybody should follow all three of you guys on Twitter because you're you're all hilarious. So uh, those yes, shows are at, definitely at Uso underscore Brendan. That's my that's my Twitter handle. Uh, I, and I was going to say Elroy Boys is a terrific show. Isolation Chamber has been uh, great, uh, but I, I'm I'm on there now, so you can also yes. hear my voice if you tune into Chapter Ten on or when you get to that. Start with Chapter One, obviously. Try and yeah, I mean, I'd say I'd say start with Chapter One. Otherwise, it's going to be like watching uh, 2006's Miami Vice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Which and, is a great movie, by the way, and and no shade. Right. It's just it's been an hour and a half of us fawning over Miami Vice 2006. <laughs> Kyle, yeah. where can people find uh, your work? Um. You can go to my Instagram, which is Kid Polaroid, no spaces or anything. Um, you're not going to really see much going on there. Uh, uh, I'm, if I'm shilling anything, it's going to be uh, M- Mass State Lottery. So you can uh, keep an eye out for that and watch the Mass State Claims Court, see what comes up. <laughs> so, Judge Judy in the <laughs> Uh, yeah, that that if if I was showing anything, it's that film project. So I'm putting my all into that. So follow Lores, and you can follow me for fun. I've been filming myself here and there, uh, doing some behind the scenes making of. Uh, I'm doing, uh, as Lores said, the music, but I'm also doing all the sound design and audio audio mixing. So uh, there's a lot that goes into that, and I'm kind of just documenting it for fun. So I might. Uh, depending on as we get closer to release, uh, releasing things here and there to kind of hype it up. It goes without saying, but you've been killing it as far as that goes. People people are in for uh, a treat when the movie comes out. So uh, oh, thank you. Th- uh, thank you and keep up the good work. And Hans, you're Hans Akin Dose on Instagram and uh, Twitter. No. Yeah, it's word name on Twitter because I can't use my name. It's like get banned. Yeah, Hans is on his like ninth account for Twitter at this point because he threatened. He loves to threaten female politicians late at night in, yes. in drunken stupors. Yep, <laughs> I just called Nancy Pelosi a cunt at like two in the morning, and then I wake up and I'm like, oh, let me just check my Twitter. Oh, what? It's what happened? Crazy. I don't remember this. Whoa, man. <laughs> Speaking truth to power. <laughs> <laughs> I almost got kicked off Instagram this morning for telling someone to kill himself too. Oh so. well, that's well, that's. Great, just, great, lovely roster here tonight. Very, uh, very rebellious people. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I'm going Activism. with. Activism. <laughs> you know, that's really what it comes down to. We have activists on the show. Anyway, <laughs> that's been movies. Political that's, show. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for listening.